Most people underestimate the power of process. They stick it in the back seat and forget about it until it's too late. But they shouldn't. Processes run the world, literally all of it. Stocked supermarkets, on-time trains, and safely landing planes are all made possible by systems of intricate interlinked processes. They are the secret sauce of every great company, and HR teams are responsible for some of the most important processes of all. Onboarding employees, building teams, crafting culture, these vital systems are the lifeblood of every organization. That's why this episode is brought to you by Process Street, the process platform of choice for HR teams around the world. Process Street is a no-code platform that lets you transform your most important HR processes into powerful workflows. Design beautiful employee onboarding experiences with extreme engagement that increase inclusion and reduce turnover. Sync tasks into Slack or Microsoft Teams, automate emails, handoffs, and so much more. Thousands of teams, large and small, trust Process Street to manage their most important people processes, like Salesforce that used Process Street to onboard all the 3,000 Slack employees after the $27 billion acquisition. You can learn more and sign up for a free account at www.process.st. Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast, the podcast all about the delicate balance between people and business and quite literally, reconnecting the two. My name is Tracy Rubin, and I've spent nearly my entire professional career in HR. Join me as I share stories, opinions, and words of advice with you each week. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. I know I say this every time. I have an amazing guest for you, but I only want to bring amazing guests on, okay? So just just stick with me here. My amazing guest for this week is Andrew Kitchener. He is the CEO and lead researcher at New Wave Solutions, where employee surveys are customized to help um, clients measure, track, and improve employees' organizational commitment. And let me tell you, I have to, I have to explain what Andrew has done. And, and I'll also share that he and I first connected through a webcast or a webinar that we did a few months ago. Um, and it was, it was all about change management. And we talk a little bit about that in this week's episode. But beyond that, I, I want you to understand the level of research that that Andrew and New Wave Solutions is doing. So since the start of the pandemic, all right, so we're already approaching 2023. So it's been over two years really at this point. They have surveyed 500,000 employees across 45 industries in all 50 states, and they've noticed two primary problems with most survey solutions that they are at New Wave Solutions really kind of turning on its head, and that is employee engagement being the default survey metric since 1990. Uh, That is a long time ago, and I know that because I was born in the 90s, so, you know, understanding that this is a 30 plus year old metric. I mean, there, there are some opportunities there, right? And then the second is that most organizations, many organizations are using DIY survey platforms. And we kind of talk about this a little bit in our conversation about how um, surveying can be ineffectively done and how surveying can be done more effectively. 
um, to, to kind of solve that problem. But then on top of it, we talk about the difference between employee engagement and employee commitment and specifically how employee commitment is a much more reliable metric to measure, but also more with the times, if you will, um, considering again, employee engagement has been a survey metric since 1990. So, you know, it's time to, uh, modernize a bit, right? So we talk about that. Um, and we really go into a lot of discussion points around turnover, cost of turnover, opportunity cost, and also what the next frontier is for um, surveying and employee commitment. So with that, I hope that you really enjoy this episode. Make sure that you take a look at the show notes. Um, that's where you can find links to connect with Andrew to learn more about the research that he and New Wave Solutions have done, and just to to dive deeper into this conversation. Considering my role is literally, has employee engagement literally in the title, this whole conversation makes me think differently about the entire job that I'm doing and how I can better include commitment and measuring employee commitment into the, the everyday and how employee commitment is so much more impactful. So with that, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode, wherever you're watching it, however you are consuming this content, be sure to share it with a friend, a loved one, save it for yourself to listen back to again because there are some serious nuggets of wisdom in there. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Andrew. Andrew, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Tracy. Yeah, of course. Well, to get us started, before I even jump into any of the questions that we've got ready to go for you, I'd love to hear a little bit more about who you are to share with the listeners and even where you're located. Tell us tell us the whole scoop. Yeah, so I'm located in San Francisco, uh, California, and a little bit of background. Believe it or not, I didn't plan on going into uh, employee surveying as a kid. It was uh, <laughs> not necessarily the dream I told everybody about. But uh, I actually really enjoy it. The The way I got into it is kind of just by happenstance. So I was uh, doing graduate research up in the Bay Area. And what I was looking at is simply what's the best predictor of retention, specifically long-term retention, so more than seven years. Uh, so I kind of came at it as an academic. And like most people, I anticipated and hypothesized, okay, employee engagement is going to be the best predictor of long-term retention. So I figured companies are spending over a billion dollars a year on it. They must know more than I do. I'm relatively new to this, but let's look at a hundred different variables that might be predicting long-term retention. And what we found is that engagement is actually the 35th best predictor. And the number one predictor by far was organizational commitment. Mm. Well, this offers a lot of questions that I at least am, am, are running through my brain right now. And I think the best way to start is for the listeners to have an understanding of the difference between commitment, organizational commitment, and employee engagement. So if you can walk us through that, I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I would like to do just to kind of introduce that difference is if we can just kind of do a little thought experiment. So if you could think of what's your greatest achievement, either professional or personal, do you have one that kind of sticks in your head that required a lot of hard work? I think I, I get honestly, I think this podcast, because it's uh, it is a personal and professional commitment. And I had to really have enough confidence and trust in myself to give listeners, you know, 
good advice, sage advice, and also point them in the right direction and not always be an expert on certain things. So yeah, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say that. Okay, so great. So when you think about all of the effort that this podcast required, the kind of risk that you had to take to get it started, did you put in that kind of discretionary effort because you were engaged or because you were committed to the success of the podcast or the impact of the podcast? So the latter. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so that's a good way to differentiate them just conceptually. Um, As far as how they relate to one another, uh, what we see is that engagement is a behavioral outcome, while commitment is a behavioral driver. So yes, you might be engaged while doing this podcast. You might be engaged while editing or promoting it, but you are engaged because of your commitment. So it starts with commitment. And that's just to say that they're not completely unrelated. It's just that one happens first, and that's commitment. As far as kind of the definition of it, uh, what commitment is, what organizational commitment is, is an employee's commitment to their organization's goals, values, and mission. So whereas engagement is more focused on somebody's role and how they approach their role, this is kind of zooming out, and it's understanding how somebody's role affects the organization and the alignment that gets uh, created between an organization, their mission, their values, and their workforce. Really interesting. I guess my next thought on this then is how how are companies or HR leaders measuring commitment rather than engagement? Because, in, I, I, of course, we've leveraged like engagement surveys and things like that. But is there, and I know that you are the survey king, so maybe the perfect person to ask this of, but... How are they, how can we measure commitment differently or is it the same way that we're measuring engagement today? Yeah, so one thing to look at just when we uh, look at how companies are measuring engagement, you look at five different companies and they have six different scales or sets of questions they use. So there's very little consistency in terms of how companies are measuring engagement. And that's an issue uh, that exists and has existed for two, three decades. Uh, What we do to measure commitment is there's an established scale. Um, It uses the Likert style questions, which is strongly agree to strongly disagree. It's got over 10,000 publications and citations behind it. Um, So it's a very well-established scale. And that scale essentially assesses three types of commitment. Effective commitment, which is what makes somebody want to work for their company. The next is normative commitment, what makes somebody feel like they should work for their company. And then third is continuance, which is what makes somebody feel like they need to work for their company. So when we think about commitment, it's not unidimensional. There's different types of commitment. Those are the three main types. The scale that we use is uh, essentially a reduced version, has 12 questions, and it reliably measures that, that commitment. And how often is that measured? Generally, what we would do within an organization is measure it twice a year. Uh, The reason is we want to uh, leave time in between those measurements to understand what changes need to be made to make those changes and let them kind of take hold before we then measure the effect, which is the change in commitment. Right. And I guess one other thought before I ask you a more specific question about surveying is, does this specifically sit with, when I say this, I mean like the actual execution of surveying, making changes and all of that. Does that sit with HR or is this more of a cross-functional piece of 
data that that companies are leveraging? Yeah, it's it's cross-functional. So one of the things that we see in addition to improved retention is better performance from salespeople, for instance. Um, and this is in B2B and B2C businesses. And so it affects a lot of aspects of the organization. And even if we were to just look at retention, that affects the CEO, that affects the COO, that affects the CFO. Um, so it's not just uh, relevant for HR leaders, although if you ask a lot of them, they're kind of tasked with all of these kind of cultural or assessment improvements. Uh, but like I'm sure you know, it's, it's not a task that can be accomplished by one person, let alone one team. Right. right. Yes, that is definitely something that I preach about a little bit. And I use preach very specifically and intentionally in that. Um, but on this podcast, especially because so much of the HR function is influential and we have to get those key stakeholders involved as early as possible. But I digress. My, my question specific to surveying here is really about this um, school of thought, which you've probably gotten before being in this part of the industry of business, really, um, that surveying is not super effective. There are tons of memes and reels and TikToks out there from HR content creators that are like engagement surveys. And, and you know, obviously, they, this, is, this could allow them to open their eyes to commitment surveys. But thinking about engagement surveys specifically, there's a this content around how like engagement surveys don't actually measure engagement and that surveys are just not effective. And I wonder if you have a thought on that and also if there's any thought on what makes a survey effective or ineffective and and what some of those, you know, examples might even look like from your experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, just to be frank, I hated every survey I took before I got into this space. Um, so it's uh, whether it's advantageous to admit that or not, I don't know. But that's that's been my experience. Uh, as far as what makes the survey effective or ineffective, and not just looking at commitment surveys, um, there are a few things. First of all, is to recognize that very often these surveys feel more like obligations rather than opportunities. And that's true both on the employee side. So they feel like, okay, this survey is too long. This survey doesn't protect my anonymity. This survey isn't going to lead to changes. So why is it worth my time? Those are some of the common uh, barriers to an effective survey from the employee perspective. On the employer or management <clears throat> or HR leader perspective, it's a matter of, okay, how much time is this going to take? How are we actually going to utilize the feedback and there's an amount of time that's required to develop, distribute, analyze, uh, report the results. It's a big investment um, of time and energy into these initiatives. Mm -hmm. And very often what we see is that leaders or companies do surveys because they feel like they should, but they don't really necessarily have a plan as far as, okay, here's what our objective is. Here's how we're going to use the results. And here's how we're going to drive change. Mm. Um, some common uh, issues that lead to that is, first of all, uh, employee feedback is very often analyzed and read by automated software. Um, so that's one thing that we changed in the very beginning is we use uh, trained researchers to actually read through each comment by hand. And that way there's, there's a human involved. Our, our perspective mm. is if employees take the time to share their feedback, then we owe them the time to actually read that feedback. Um, that creates kind of a reciprocal trust 
And it creates, a, like I said, a survey that feels more like an opportunity because employees are actually going to have the chance to get their voices heard. So that's that's one of the key issues that I see. Interesting. You know, it makes me think about how project management and change management are both so critical whenever rolling out really anything. But when we're thinking about a survey, it's so true that it's so easy to just you just put it out there. And you're like, let's just ask the questions. And then yeah. there's no intention or thought, not necessarily uh, with malintent, but just, you know, thinking that, oh, the survey is going to give us information and then we'll just read through it. But when an employee takes a survey and they share, they take time to share their feedback with you, they want you to act on that feedback. They want to know that you're listening. And how is the, maybe that's actually just it. They want to know you're listening that you're actually rolling something out, you know, asking the question with the intention of listening. And the only way to really measure how well you listened is if there's change. And that change management piece in uh, no, having a goal behind the, the reason why you're sending out the survey and then what's hap what happens after you send out the survey, that's probably the most overlooked part of the, the process within internal organizations, I guess, at this point, which is probably where you and your team come in to help navigate that, especially since you're saying that there are researchers who are assigned to this this process, which I can imagine helps ease some of those pain points quite a bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of companies will take the time to read the feedback, generally with smaller organizations, but they do it internally. And when you do it internally, uh, you're not going to be unco uh, uncovering, uh, first of all, fully honest and candid responses. Um, you're also not going to uncover sensitive issues. So we've worked with companies and uncovered, you know, difficult topics like sexual assault, uh, mistreatment, things like that, that might not necessarily come up if they were, uh, if the opportunity to discuss them was brought up internally. Um, but as far as the taking action part, that's, that's the main issue that we see from a management perspective. There's, yeah very often even a, a well-intentioned desire to create change, but the surveys are being developed and sent out without a strategy in place for when they get that feedback and those results back. Right. Um, at best, they very often come back and they go, okay, we have 80 changes that we can make. What do we prioritize? And if there isn't a structure and objective way to not just categorize these changes, but then to prioritize them, incredibly difficult to take action upon them because you're just basing it on okay this is what i think we should work on yeah. so you're forced to assume and kind of act on subjectiveness rather than kind of an objective way to prioritize these these actionable changes right that makes sense actually it makes me think of one question that is not on the topic of employee engagement or commitment and that is on exit surveys and there are a lot of questions that i get about this like do exit surveys have an impact? Is it better to do stay interviews? Should we have exit interviews instead if someone is leaving? And I'm curious, before we continue with the um, discussion on commitment, what your thoughts are when it comes to someone exiting the business and how best to get that feedback, but also prevent more turnover? Yeah, yeah. So that's one of the instances where I actually do recommend doing some internal work. You don't want to completely outsource it. Um, you want to be able to have a discussion internally as far as, okay, here's a manager that the person asking these exit interview questions is familiar with. They're familiar with the organizational culture. 
So what we generally recommend is doing those kind of internal discussions um, or exit interviews, and then also having an anonymous exit feedback survey. Um, what we see is that, like most surveys, if you only ask internally for that feedback, you're not going to get those candid, honest, kind of yeah. brutal uh, responses. And where those will go instead are websites like Glassdoor. You know, yeah. so if you look at Glassdoor oh, yeah. for a lot of these companies, the same information is not coming out there as is uh, exit interviews. Totally. Interesting. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. I think this is where I would probably share with the listeners that, you know, the to me, when someone is leaving, you've already there's no fixing that someone even if you manage to retain them at some level, unless you fix everything about the reason why they intended to leave in the first place probably going to be back in that same place within a year, if not within two years. Um, and then beyond that, it's like you don't want that feedback to end up on Glassdoor. So you have to create all of these avenues to encourage the conversation. But I always kind of bring it back to, well, if you're only hearing it at the exit interview stage or the exit survey stage, you missed a million steps in between. And we have to do a better job of communicating and creating that open, uh, that open door for that person. Hey everyone, I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about the Employee Onboarding Podcast by Process Street. If you care about crafting a magical experience for new employees and you love podcasts, you won't want to miss this. Join the Process Street team as they have conversations with people leaders and technology creators exploring the world's most magical onboarding experiences. You will learn cutting-edge best practices, industry secrets, and technology to wow every new employee that walks through your door. I recommend the episode where Process Street CEO Vinay Patankar sat down with Zapier CEO Wade Foster to talk about how they've scaled employee onboarding in a $5 billion remote first organization. And the conversation with Ben Eubanks discussing how to leverage AI and automation to improve the new employee experience will blow your mind. You can find the Employee Onboarding Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Go ahead and check it out. And don't forget, if you're interested in supercharging your employee onboarding or other HR processes, go ahead and give Process Street a try. You can sign up for a free account at www.process.st or check out their YouTube channel for a bunch of webinars and demos. Moving back to this, you know, the a lot of the concepts that you've shared on your reports and different webinars that you've um, been on and hosted and, and have been a guest on, you had a report come out about employee sentiment, and it shared that communication and collaboration is 75% less efficient in a remote work environment. Can you share how this impacts employee commitment, kind of bringing it back to the reason why we're speaking today, and how employers can actually improve this result? Because I, I think it's actually resoundingly clear, and this makes sense to me, that uh, this like less efficient result of being 75% less efficient in a remote environment. Yeah, and that's not to say that those employees want to be in person necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's just there are benefits to remote work and there are downsides. One of the big downsides is that that lack of efficient communication collaboration. Mm -hmm. I think we've all experienced it, you know, being on too many Zoom meetings or just not being able to uh, collaborate in person with a group, either due to schedule misalignment or other factors. Um, as far as its impact on commitment, 
just big picture, we don't want to assume that everybody's commitment is going to be impacted by the same variables. Mm -hmm. So uh, for some individuals or some organizations, it might be career advancement opportunities or pay and benefits or the learning development opportunities. There are different variables that, at least with our survey, that we analyze as possible drivers. And that's where we kind of come into that strategy of, okay, how do we uncover which changes to focus on? It's by looking at which of those factors imp impact commitment the most. Um, but as far as actionable advice on those, one of the big issues that we see is recently onboarded employees. Uh, they struggle to have any, any identity or connection with the organization. Mm. It's a big uh, cultural issue is you have, you know, maybe 80% of your workforce who was hired pre-COVID. They've all worked in person together. They all know each other. Maybe they have some familiarity. Maybe they text each other. But recently onboarded employees, it's hard to connect through a screen, especially when you come into a completely new environment. Um, so focusing on integrating, especially at a cultural level, those that were onboarded remotely is uh, something to focus on. As far as the communication, it's, first of all, not having too many Zoom meetings or having too many people in Zoom meetings. Generally, if you have more than uh, uh, enough people to split a large pizza in a Zoom meeting, you have too many people. That's, that's generally how I, how I describe it. Uh, as far as the clarity side, um, career roadmaps are really one of the biggest pain points that impact commitment. So while there might be career advancement opportunities within the organization, uh, if they're not clearly outlined, described, and shared with employees, along with, okay, here are our expectations or requirements in order for you to become eligible, here's how long it generally takes to move up the ladder, that type of clarity uh, can dilute employees' confidence that there actually are career advancement opportunities or growth mm -hmm. opportunities. This makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I'm in a remote environment now and, you know, there are definitely um, a lot of conversations out there, not only in the industry that I'm in, but amongst many leaders, HR leaders and other companies about this element of, you know, and, and what remote work has done to kind of be a catalyst to understanding employee commitment a little bit better. And I know that you are, are familiar with some organizations out there and thought leaders who are ditching employee engagement and saying that commitment is what we need to focus on. So can you share a little bit more about, you know, what's already out there from some of these major names? Yeah, absolutely. So companies like Microsoft are no longer measuring engagement. They've completely rooted it out. Part of the motivation for that is, like you said, HR leaders and uh, kind of influencers in the space, as well as researchers. So Josh Burson is a great example. So he no longer, he predicted the, the quote is the end or death of employee engagement surveys. Mm. Um, and if we look at kind of the history of surveys, uh, 30 years ago, they were measuring job satisfaction. Then they pivoted to employee engagement. And now we see a transition to organizational commitment. And while that's what I do, and I, I promote organizational commitment, I'm not going to be somebody that says, forever, organizational commitment is going to be the best metric. I anticipate it won't be the best metric forever. There will be additional research that comes out. It will get refined and 
people will better understand the drivers of retention. Um, but what we need to do is be open to the idea that this 30-year-old metric of engagement is no longer the best predictor. Interesting. And I don't know if you have any experience with asynchronous work at all, but if you do, do you have any thoughts on how commitment and then understanding, you know, what came out in your employee sentiment report about communication and collaboration effectiveness in a remote environment, how asynchronous work can have an impact on that, good or bad or otherwise, because, you know, there there are also a lot of um, schools of thought out there that asynchronous work is the only way to work effectively remotely. Um, but how do you then, and for the listeners, I'll just explain asynchronous work is basically this practice of um, taking your experience, whether it's like in meetings, calls, et cetera, and, and taking them out of this like format that it has to be within working hours and at a certain time. And actually there's, there's a, a push within asynchronous work to get rid of most meetings and actually just hyper document and hyper communicate what is going on like you think about Google Docs, having everyone kind of collaborate within that Google Doc rather than meeting to discuss a project. That's in super layman's terms what I would say asynchronous work is. And I will definitely link in the show notes some more material. GitLab actually has a really interesting playbook on asynchronous work. So I will share it for anyone interested. But coming back to you, Andrew, what are your thoughts with asynchronous work and this understanding that communication and collaboration are 75% less effective in a remote environment? How, how do we do it all? Yeah, yeah. And just to clarify that one point, it's that 75% of employees believe communication mm. collaboration is less efficient. It's not that it's 75% less efficient. Right. Um, but one, uh, one thing that we see is uh, this asynchronous work is an outcome of what's desired from employees. So the two main things are flexibility and autonomy. So the asynchronous work is not necessarily the driver of commitment, but flexibility and autonomy are. Mm -hmm. Now, the downstream effects of that are you have to deal with the uh, positives and negatives of that asynchronous work. And we shouldn't assume that for every industry or every organization that there's only one way to make it work. Um, so for some organizations, that asynchronous environment is going to be beneficial. It's going to afford more flexibility and autonomy. And the communication collaboration structure uh, that the company has in place will minimize the downsides to where the positives outweigh those downsides. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that we see is that we, we, we really get a lot of variation um, across the workforce. So the asynchronous work is much preferred, especially for... Uh, young employees with families. That's one of the biggest things that we see. They have a lot to juggle, um, but they're still proactively wanting to advance their career, but they need some flexibility to be able to adjust around their other responsibilities. Um, the best thing that I would say is to open communication channels, not just between employees, but between the employers or management and employees. So get constant feedback or at least regular feedback on what are the communication collaboration challenges and where are the opportunities to improve. That kind of direct to source information is going to be better than any general tip that I'm going to be able to provide. And more importantly, it's going to demonstrate 
a genuine desire to ask employees for suggested improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that's going to facilitate kind of this uh, a continuous learning mindset within the organization, as well as show that you respect and care about employees' feedback. Super interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I think one of my one of the the final questions that I have for you on this um, point between you know understanding some of the the reasons, and I think you put it perfectly, like drivers of commitment and things like that. Taking it a step further to understanding why companies need to focus on commitment. It's always it always comes down to turnover. Turnover costs a lot, and not only financially, uh, monetarily, but also culturally. When someone leaves, you're you're losing a ton of knowledge, especially if that knowledge is not documented. All of that knowledge just flies right out of the window. So understanding that the increase in cost and and then obviously the frequency of turnover as well has led companies to hopefully focus more on commitment. Um, how how can companies leverage or look at top talent and growth within their organization to minimize? Uh, this turnover, and then beyond that, how can you know understanding these drivers of commitment? How can companies today start to really focus on that behavior change to drive better commitment um, in order to reduce turnover? Yeah, yeah. The the growth in the in the cost and frequency of turnover, combined with an increase in the importance of retaining your top talent, so they can grow within the organization instead of out of it. That kind of duality is is definitely a core driver of why companies are doing these these surveys. Um, now, that's not the only benefit, of course. So when you talk to management or you just think to yourself, okay, what's the value of being committed? What if I could turn that dial up a little bit? What would that mean if I was more committed or if those in my organization were more committed? Uh, that is, uh, there's kind of those secondary benefits like improved performance, um, as well as improved psychological safety, kind of these secondary benefits. But on the retention side, you're right. That's kind of where the ROI is. Mm. Um, what we see is that the average cost of turnover in the U.S. is $30,000. Uh, as you increase the complexity of the job and the uh, essentially seniority, it goes up to almost 200% of an employee's annual salary. Um, and a lot of that is, like you were saying, kind of the opportunity cost of losing that inside information, uh, the experience, the resources, the connections mm. of the individual. But there's also kind of this uh, uh, feedback loop or uh, retention uh, inhibiting cycle where, okay, you lose an employee. Well, that employee had friends. Those friends, how is their morale going to be impacted? Mm. And then in addition, you have the same amount of work just because you lose somebody doesn't mean that right. the workload is cut down. So it's got to be displaced onto others. And that's going to drag down uh, employee morale. It's going to increase burnout. It's going to decrease well-being. And then it's going to fuel further and further turnover issues. So there is kind of a trickle-down effect as well as that opportunity cost. Um, the commitment side of it, the reason why it impacts uh, uh, retention and why it's so important to focus on if retention is a core desired improvement is uh, pretty well represented if you look at a company like Tesla. So if you work at a company like Tesla and you're offered $7,000 more to go work for General Motors, a lot of employees aren't going to take that. They believe in the mission, the values, the leadership, 
of the company that they're they're working for and they want to be committed to that so while there's often discussion of people choose companies based on pay or leave because of management there's truth in both of those statements but there's a deeper deeper kind of alignment that needs to get created to where uh increase in pay is not necessarily going to have a detrimental effect um as far as retention so you're not going to be able to get employees who are frequently poached um or just open to pursuing other opportunities as much if you're able to increase that commitment and in order to do that you need to know what to focus on and that's why we use regressions uh, and won't go too deep into the stats of it but we can say here are the changes that you can make to improve commitment most directly if you improve satisfaction with let's say company culture or career advancement opportunities by 10% here's how you can expect commitment to change and that's kind of where the prioritization uh really delivers a lot of value because it gives that clarity of what to focus on why you should focus on it and what you can expect as an outcome wow that's really helpful and i i think you know it's a tough time it's it, these last few years have been tough for hr leaders for business leaders in general um and to even just have a little bit of a deeper understanding into what you know how to solve some of these opportunities some of these challenges but what to focus on i think can go a long way because there is so much again like content and thought leadership out there saying one thing saying another thing um and it's you know i i even sometimes come back to this idea of emotional intelligence i recently had an episode talking about uh, with a guest talking about how you don't necessarily need to have high inte high emotional intelligence to be successful yeah. and this is where you know the content that's out there is not necessarily always doing us a a good service because there's all of the content that I see is that you have to have high EQ to be successful. And this is where I, you know, whenever I bring a guest onto the podcast, I always want us to think differently about things or at least challenge the way that we are thinking because that's where there's so much growth. So even thinking about employee engagement and ditching it for employee commitment can be a catalyst to making really thoughtful changes within our organization. So I really appreciate you sharing all of the these amazing facts and all of the the work that you and your team have done to help us better understand where our obligations and where our potential really lie. It's it's so helpful and so that is definitely not lost on me. That's for sure. I have a lot of um, things to think about, and I'm glad that I get to edit my episode so I can think through it again and hear <laughs> everything over. Um, but my last question for you, and I always like to ask, you know, like a prediction question, but um, in your opinion, what is the next frontier for employer and employee relationships and what comes after employee commitment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wish I could predict that because I, I'd, I'd be ahead of the game. Right. Um, what you can, what I kind of look at, and this isn't to say that I'm the person that sparked this by any means. I think it's leaders like Josh Burson, companies like Microsoft, uh, researchers from Harvard, people that are more influential than I am. They, uh, they are influencing this discussion around engagement to the point to where if you look at companies who discuss employee engagement, now pretty much 80% of them mention commitment within their definition of engagement. Mm. So that that has changed a good amount. Um, and I think it is this research because instead of just kind of me saying, oh, commitment is a better metric, take my word for it. There's substantial uh, independent research that you can look to or lean on 
uh, rather than just saying, oh, Andrew said this is true, uh, so it, we have to rely on him. There's not that need. And so it's difficult to be a company uh, focused on engagement that doesn't contend with this kind of reality. Um, as far as what's next or kind of the next frontier, I think it's going to be revolving around employee feedback. Um, so better ways to utilize employee feedback is going to be a big change and specifically uh, fostering that trust and uh, confidence and anonymity is going to be a major, major change that HR leaders are going to want. Uh, in addition, HR leaders are going to uh, continue, unfortunately, being overworked, understaffed, um, often underpaid, and it's going to benefit both them and the organization, as well as employees, if they can partner with surveying companies that work with them in a hands-on way, rather than a do-it-yourself software, because doing so is going to allow somebody who's done tens or hundreds of thousands of surveys give their input uh, before the survey in its development and distribution. But it's also going to allow the HR leader to just focus on implementing the changes rather than developing the survey to uncover the insights necessary to kind of build that action plan. Mm -hmm. So I think those are going to be some critical changes. That's really interesting and really important to hear, actually. And thinking uh, on a final point here, thinking about that um, concept of HR leaders partnering with, you know, someone externally to manage the actual execution of the survey, then you get like critical benchmark information too, which you're not necessarily getting. You're kind of just competing against yourself from previous years or quarters or months or weeks. And that benchmark information is so valuable, whether it's that you're ahead and above the benchmark and, and that's something to celebrate, or you think you're doing a great job, but actually you're below the benchmark and you have some opportunities. That is probably one of the, the most impactful pieces of ex, uh, really like um, exporting or outsourcing that piece of, of the HR life, you know, lifespan, employee life cycle yeah. and all of that. So Thank you for sharing that. And, and I guess to kind of close us out, I'd love for you to share with the listeners where they can learn more about you and what you do, what your company does, um, and get connected with some of the resources that you provide. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the best way would be to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm sure maybe you'll, you'll share a link, but yes. that'll allow you to connect to our company page as well. We publish research and insights and as far as connecting with me, whether or not you're interested in measuring commitment or you're just experiencing some of these surveying issues that we went over, uh, either just as kind of a leader or you see them on the employee side or you're just struggling with turnover, you can reach out to me and I'm happy to set aside some time and just kind of go through the strategy that, that people have in place, give my insights if I have them, and that's regardless of whether we become a client or not. So people can connect with me on LinkedIn, connect with our company on LinkedIn, and then reach out to me directly if they kind of want my input or if they want to learn more about commitment versus engagement. Amazing. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast and for sharing all of your insights and, again, all of the work that you all do. Um, it's super helpful. So hopefully we can uh, reference some of your reports in the future yeah. again and maybe even have you on if there's something interesting that maybe the next frontier opens your eyes to that the listeners absolutely have to know about. So thank you so much. 
Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm sure this won't be our last discussion. <laughs> totally. No, definitely won't be. Thank you. Bye, everybody.